You can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hands. What a joy it is to be with you all today and to be able to sing songs of worship to our one true and living King. Amen? And truly, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, we have entered into uh, eternal life, abundant life, and we have the joy of knowing uh, that we will be worshipers of his forever. Jonah chapter 2, while you turn there, we're so thankful and grateful to see each each and every one of you here this morning and to our guest. We pray that a song would be sung or a a part of this message would would prick your heart and allow you to love Jesus all the more. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. What you hold in your hand is not a self-help book. This is the very word of God. It was written by holy men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in order that we may know the heart of God and be empowered to live transformed lives. If you could look at verse 1, and we're going to read the majestic, wonderful, matchless word of God together. And the word reads, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Shoel I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come uh, here this morning to worship you, to ascribe supreme worth to your holy name. For there is none like you, Lord, in all of the earth. No one who can compare to you in power. No one who can compare to you in goodness. No one who can compare to you in love. No one who can compare to you in steadfast faithfulness. No one who can provide like you, who can protect like you, who can give joy like you, who can give perspective like you. No one who can give peace like you, Lord. No one who can cradle us like you, who can give us comfort in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our storms, Lord. No one who can heal like you, Father God. You reign and you rule supreme, Lord. And we come to lift you up, Lord. We come, Father God, asking you to have your way in our hearts, Lord. Have your way through your word, Father God. Allow your anointing, Lord, your Holy Spirit to break yokes, Father God, to to set us free, Father God. We pray, Lord, that your word, Lord, would, would move us if we're in a place of apathy, Father God. 
to a place, Lord, of, of deep reverence, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you would make us zealous for good works, Lord, according to your word, Lord. Confound us with your grace, Lord. Show us just how scandalous it is. And allow us, Lord, to leave here, Father God, surrendered fully to you. Take my broken mind, Father God, and use it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Um, today we're looking, and we're going to continue to look at the life of, of Jonah uh, as we are entitled this series, Divine Mercy. And today we're going to look at the repenting prophet. Last week we looked at the running prophet, and today we're going to look at the repenting prophet. Andrew Murray, the great theologian and pastor, uh, has a quote that I, I really enjoy. He says this, May not a single moment of my life be spent outside the life, love, and joy of God's presence, and not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to feel full of his spirit and his love. Jonah, in chapter 1, we, we meet him and we see him, and the Bible introduces him as a, a prophet. A prophet is one who hears from God and who speaks on God's behalf. And I'm sure that if we went to Jonah and, and had an opportunity to talk to him before God gave him a, a very specific call, that Jonah would conclude like Andrew Murray. He he probably prayed prayers, Lord, help me to be fully surrendered to you. He probably thought in his heart and in his mind that he was fully submitted to the Lord. But then God came to Jonah with the word. And that word was, Jonah, I want you to leave your comfort zone, leave being a prophet to my people during this prosperity, uh, uh, prosperous and, and good season, I want you to, to, to leave your comfort zone, and I want you to go to some Gentiles in Nineveh. And I want you to preach in Nineveh. And, and I, I want you to, to share my message of hope in Nineveh. And, and rather than Jonah surrendering and submitting himself as a vessel for God, Jonah got the bright idea to try to run from God to try to run from his presence. And all of us at times in our lives are like Jonah, where we hear God's will, we hear God's word, we see God's design, but we think that we know better than God. All of us at times in our lives think that we're, that we're smarter than God. You know, we, we, we read his word or we, we know his word or someone shares the word of God with us. And, and rather than saying the word of God is good and true and noble and just and right, we say, uh, that's a way to live, but that's not the way to live. That, that, that works for some people. That's just not how I see life, right? But what we have to understand is that God's design is always right. And when God speaks a word to us, it is always for our good and his glory. 
God's design is always perfect and, and good. It may not always feel good. It may not always be convenient. It may always, not always be what, what we want, but it's always right. And being in his will, though it's not always safe, it's always the safest place to be. Amen? And Jonah says, you know, God, you're giving me this word, and if I go to Nineveh, and if I preach to the Ninevites, they're going to become God-fears. They, they'll repent, and I don't want them to repent because they're cruel. Uh, the Ninevites could be compared in many ways to, 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 to Isis back then. They're very cruel people, especially cruel to Jews. Jonah says, I don't want them to come to your light. I don't want them to come to your knowledge. Your, your way is not good. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that was the Lord talking to Jeremiah while uh, the Jews were in bondage to Babylon and were, were there for at least 70 years, and he speaks to the Jews there, and he says, I, I have a plan for you. And my plan is not evil towards you. My plan is to give you a future and a hope. And we can take that as New Testament Christians and apply that to our lives, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That God's plans for you is not evil. God's plan for you is not a, a horrible future. It is a great future. It is a future with a promising hope. Therefore, when the Lord tells us to, to go a certain way or to obey a certain command, we need to see it as a part of his good design. But Jonah did not, Jonah did not see that. And what we're going to learn today by looking at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, is simply this. It's simply through God's mercy, we gain life by dying to self. It's through God's mercy we gain life by dying to self. We see in chapter 1 that Jonah disobeys God, and he, he sins against the Lord. He sins against the Lord. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to a place called Tarshish. Now here's the thing we want to know, and we, 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 we want to always remember, that anytime we disobey God, we are headed downward. Disobedience leads to a downward trajectory, a, a downward spiral. Jonah chapter 1, verse number 3 tells us that Jonah, after he disobeyed God, he went down to uh, Joppa and got down on board. Jonah chapter 1, verse number Five says that then Jonah went down into the inward parts of the ship. And then once he was down in the inward parts of the ship, that he went down and took a nap. And then a great storm came, and the seamen went through this whole thing. Who are you? Where are you from? Why are we in this position? You're the problem. Then they threw him down into the sea. And then Jonah went down into the sea, and then all of a sudden a big fish came and swallowed Jonah up, and he went down into the belly of, a, of the fish. Disobedience leads us downward. Sin deceives, 
sin deflates, sin drags, and then sin destroys. It binds, it blinds, and then it grinds. And that's when we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 17 through verse 2 of chapter 2, Jonah's kind of given us a summary of what happened after he went on his downward trajectory. And he's going to give a summary in these verses, and it's kind of going to foreshadow and let us know what's coming for the rest of the chapter. In verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this isn't mythology. Okay, this, this is a true account of a man, a prophet, who disobeyed God and who God uh, raised up a, 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 a fish, a gigantic fish, to swallow him up. And then verse 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoel I cried, and you heard my voice. And that word shoel, it's out of the belly of death. God has a prophet on a run who won't obey him. And God in his mercy, rather than leaving Jonah to himself, rather than leaving Jonah to his, his own plan for his life, God loved him too much. He showed mercy. He tailor makes a storm to get Jonah's attention. And one of the things that we see in, this, uh, in the book of Jonah is the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God. It's interesting that Jonah, a human being, is the only person or the only entity that, that does not obey the voice of the Lord. In chapter 1, we see the, the wind obeying the voice of the Lord. We, we see the sea obeying the voice of the Lord. We even see a gigantic fish obeying the voice of the Lord. But yet this Hebrew of Hebrews, this prophet of prophets, doesn't obey the voice of the Lord. And God uses all of these things to bring Jonah back to himself. But Jonah now, because he rebels against God's design, now has to go through some stuff because of his sin. Because sin brings brokenness. Sin brings pain. That's what we read in verse 3. Jonah is reflecting on his experience in the, the depths of the sea, and he's reflecting on his experience in the, the depths of the belly of the whale. And he says in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a a, a tailored-made storm in a place in your life where you know that the reason you are there is because you made a bed that now you have to lie in. And yet at the same time, you know that the bed that you are lying in also is a bed that God ordained for you. <laughs> and that no matter what you try to do, there is not peace because you know that you have not made things right with the Lord. Perhaps you're there today, and you're running from God. 
Maybe, maybe you're in a relationship that you know that God does not want you to be in. I've been there before. And you find yourselves in the, in the midst of waves, wave after wave. It's like trying to put, put a, a square inside of a circle, right? And you're trying to make it fit. You're trying to make it work. You're trying to please this person when you know that the Lord tells you not to fear man or try to please man, but to, to fear him and, and serve him first and foremost. Perhaps you're at a place of employment that you know the Lord doesn't want you to be. Perhaps the, the environment that you're in is, is not a place that you know that is conducive for you to grow. And maybe you're lying to yourself saying, I'm going to be a missionary here. But you know deep in your heart that before you can be a mission to other people, you have to get right with the Lord. You know, it's God's mercy that, 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 that allows us in those situations to not be comfortable. It's God's mercy that, that chases after a believer, that allows us to, to feel that, that, that discipline in that tap. It is the, the, those who are children of God that the Lord disciplines and brings to correction. Sin hurts, and it, it brings pain. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 4, we see a psalm of David probably a, 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 literally a, 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 a song to, for Israel to sing, and David is reflecting upon his unrepentant sin. And listen to how he describes it. He says, blessed or, or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now he's going to give a personal testimony. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. If you are habitually, blatantly sinning against the Lord right now, and you find yourself constantly saying things like, I don't know what's wrong with me, I just don't have any joy, I, I don't have any peace, uh, uh, things just aren't right, something inside is, is wrong, could it be that you are grieving the Holy Spirit? And that God's pressure, his hand, is upon you. And, and we want to see that that pressure, that, that his hand that is upon you, is, is, a, is, a, is a kind hand. It's a hand that's, that doesn't want to crush you completely, but it's a hand that wants to, to give you a small a spanking in order to turn your heart back to him. So Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God allowing your life to fall apart is an act of mercy and grace. 
And perhaps the best thing that could happen to you in this season of your life is you coming to an utter end of yourself. What's scary is, is when we get to a place where we know that we are at an end of ourselves, when we know that God is whooping us because he loves us, disciplining us because we're his kids, and we ignore and we take his kindness for granted. And, and the thing that we want to, to make sure we understand is that uh, grace and mercy, it can be taken away. And God could give you over to the very thing that you are playing around with. And that's why we, we as believers, we want to run from sin. We don't want to waddle in. We don't want to lay and play and huff and puff and whine and dine and take his grace for granted. But when the Holy Spirit is tugging on us and calling us to repent, when we're like Jonah, find ourselves in, in the deep and we, we feel the waves and billows of the Lord passing upon us, we want to be quick to turn, quick to flee, quick to look to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gave a warning to those who were in Corinth who were showing up at each of their gatherings and they were taking communion in vain. See, communion is supposed to be, and we're going to take communion here in a little bit together. When we take the Lord's Supper, it is an outward demonstration of a, of a conviction that we have that that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and was resurrected from the grave. But, but it's really focusing on his death on the cross, and that he died the death that we deserve, that, that God's wrath was poured out on him. It's a reminder to us of the sacrifice that he made so that we could live. And, and every time we take communion together, it is a reminder of God's grace and his kindness towards us. And we ought to not take it for granted. We ought to not take communion lightly. Just as, as We ought to not just treat it as a, a regular meal or, or something that we just do. We ought to treat it as a reminder of God's goodness towards us. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he, he warns them because they are taking the Lord's Supper in vain. They, they have this reminder of the good news of Jesus, but they're not using it as an opportunity to search their hearts, examine their hearts, and repent. And this is what it, the Apostle Paul says. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. That means this is a person who is perhaps living in unforgiveness, made up their mind not to forgive. They're, according to the context in 1 Corinthians 11, maybe they're being intentionally divisive. Um, <laughs> the church in Corinth, they were just buck wild. They were coming and taking communion to get drunk and to get full, right? <laughs> he said, Who, whoever is intentionally taking this, and, and not giving thought to it, not allowing it to lead you to repentance. He says, you're guilty, verse 28. He says, then let a person examine himself then, 
And so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned, listen, along with the world. That's, that's deep. He says there are some who are sick. And he's talking to believers. He says there are some who even die because they were taking the gospel in an unworthy manner. Jonah right now is sick. <laughs> he is ill. He is in the belly of fish. He is wrapped, as he says here, in, with seaweed, entangled with all types of, of things as that fish is just swimming in, 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 in the sea and, and water is coming in. He's miserable, probably going in and out of consciousness, and he knows that he's there because he went against God's design. But God loved him too much to allow him to go to, through uh, without being disciplined. You know, one of my children <laughs> recently confessed to me and my wife that they refused to cry while being disciplined. And it was the funniest thing. We're sitting at home, the child just got disciplined like an hour before, and he says, you know, whenever you and mommy discipline me, I'm just going to take it. I know I did wrong, and from now on, I'm just going to take it, and I'm not going to cry. And I lie to you not. This child, for like uh, a month before, just refused to cry whenever we disciplined him, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? But they said, this is the bed that I've made, and I ain't just taking it too. All the other kids is crying and well. They said, nope, this is the bed. I'm just going to take it. And to this day, refuse to cry. They're just taking it. <laughs> you know, some of us, we, we're just taking it. But we're not allowing the discipline of the Lord to change our heart. And what we should do when we're disciplined, rather than just saying, I know that I'm in this position because of my disobedience, is we should repent. We should, we should say, cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help change my perspective. Help change my life. Because we're going through unnecessary ways. God is bigger and better than the sin that you are holding on to. So much more joy than, than, than walking in disobedience, following Christ. Yes, it's a, a hard life, but it is a joyful life. It is an abundant life. Jesus, Jesus called us to a life of abundance. 
a life of peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we want to hold on to our selfish desires and motives, don't we? In order to truly live, we must die. We see God's design. We see Jonah's sin, and as a result of sin, there's all kind of brokenness, and in all of our lives, there's there's all kind of brokenness as a result of sin. But then we see Jonah's repentance. Look at the text. Verse number 7. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He says, when my life was falling apart. Someone is here today, and your life is falling apart. And it's a good thing if you recognize that the reason your life is falling apart is because you're living in rebellion. The only way, the only way that you are going to be reconciled back to God and be at a a place of peace with God is if you repent. To repent means to agree with God about sin and all manners of and matters of life. It's to agree with God that God is smarter than you, that God knows what's best for you, that God has a design and he has a plan for your life and for all of humanity. And it's to surrender your heart and your will to the Lord and say, Lord, I give up. I'm going to trust in you with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my soul, and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. That's what Jonah did here in this text. He said that he remembered the Lord and he prayed to the Lord and he had confidence. He knew that if he prayed to the Lord that he would once again look upon the Lord. He would once again be in a a favorable position with the Lord. In verse 4, he had hope, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In verse 7, he says the same thing, and my prayer came to you in came to you into your holy temple. Jonah knew that God was a merciful God, that God was a forgiving God, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, 1 John 1 and 9, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I don't care who you are or what you've done last week or last year or last month, whatever it was, that God, if you cry out to the Lord, if you say, Lord, help me, if you say, Lord, I'm in Lord, I I love this thing that that I ought to hate, and I need you to give me a new passion, to give me a new taste, to give me new desires. I need you, Father God, to give me your perspective on sin, your perspective, Lord, on my life. I need you to forgive me, that he will forgive you. Jonah knew this. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He said, Lord, if I go and if I preach this good news to Nineveh, if I warn the Ninevites about your coming judgment, Lord, they'll repent and you'll forgive them. And I don't want that. Can you see Jonah, the running prophet, stubborn prophet, got his mind made up on how life was going to go, running from the presence of God, going to Tarshish to go on vacation, going on strike against the Lord, goes and gets thrown over into the sea, and while he's thrown over into the sea, he's still probably saying to himself, I'm still not, I'm still not, 
I'm still not going, Lord. Then the fish comes, and he's in the fish, and he's down there, and there's seaweeds, and the fish is eating all kind of stuff, and it's coming in, and the fish is passing gas. He's smelling all this stuff, and he, I'm still not, I'm still. And then eventually he says, Lord, I give up. Somebody here needs to just say, Lord, I give up. I'm drowning. This isn't worth it. I'm not smarter than you. But I praise you that you are faithful. I praise you that you forgive. I praise you that you toss my, you, you separate my sin from you as far as the, the east is from the west. That you throw it in a sea of forgetfulness. Doesn't mean that he forgets our sin. That's an anthropomorphic term. God cannot forget our sin. If he was able to forget something, he would cease to be God. No, he remembers everything. But he chooses not to use your sin and my sin against us. How loving is he? We have to understand that life comes through death. John chapter 12. Jesus teaches this principle that if we're going to truly have life, it's going to come because we have died. John 12, starting at verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it will remain alone, unless we die to ourselves. Unless we die to our own selfish ambitions, we're not going to live. Only when we lose our life will we gain it. I remember being in college, and uh, like Joan, I shared with you guys last week, I, the Lord upset me. He didn't give me what I wanted, but I thought I wanted. In a long-term relationship, it went sour. A buddy of mine's from high school passed, and had some other things going on emotionally, and I just said, well, Lord, you didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't make my best life happen. Now I'm going to do what I want to do. And I remember going to a church service. A, a friend invited me, um, and this was before I, I, I got a part of a campus ministry that the Lord used to, to draw me to himself. I'll never forget, it was a, a lady up, and she was directing service, and she just started teaching and talking about how today was a good day to die. And she said, somebody here in the audience needs to know that today is a good day to die. Today is a good day to give up. She kept saying, today is a good day to die. Now, this isn't long after September 11th, okay? This is my freshman year. And I remember uh, being under the influence, showing up to the service, under the influence of something that wasn't the Holy Spirit, and cracking up in the back of the sanctuary saying, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die. It's never a good day to die, right? And my buddy's back there. We back there cracking up. It's not a good day to die. See, we were thinking in the natural. 
and we were missing it in the spirit. That was a good day to die. And because I did not die that day to myself, because I did not repent and turn to trust Jesus, I promise you, my life fell apart. And I'm telling you today, today's a good day to die. Today's a good day to give up. Today's a good day to be weak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the, the, the Apostle Paul tells us that, that God is made strong through our weakness, that his power is perfected when we are weak. That's the key to the kingdom of God. That's the key to, to life with God is that in order to, to, to have a relationship with God, we have to become weak. We have to become like little children. We have to surrender. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul teaches that comfort is found, often found in affliction. Comfort is often found in affliction. God afflicts us in order to draw us. Jonah had to become weak. Not only do we have to become weak, but this nation has to become weak. America is a lot like Jonah. And we're laying in a bed that is not comfortable and it's going to get more and more less comfortable. We are a, a nation that is asphyxiated and ran by greed and selfishness and injustice. But the Lord says to us as individuals what, what he says to, to us as a nation, especially Christians. He says to us what he said in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. He calls us to repent. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The only way restoration with God is through repentance and that's through humility and that's through weakness we see in verse number 8 and verse number 9 that Jonah turns his attention to the steadfast love of the Lord midst of this song he, he says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and of steadfast love Jonah recognized that his heart was worshiping someone other than Jesus. Perhaps it was respect. Perhaps he knew that as a, a prophet who was uh, a prophesying under the reign of Jeroboam II and who people had come to, to love and to like because he was prophesying prosperity and Israel at this point was experiencing prosperity. Perhaps he knew if he went to Nineveh and the word got out that he went to their enemies and preached good news and they repented that he would lose the respect of people. Perhaps respect was an idol for, for Jonah. Or maybe it was ethnocentrism. He, he, maybe he was a racist. And, and that eth ethnocentrism was an idol to Jonah. Jonah recognizes that in light of God's steadfast love that those idols should not be held on to. And all of our disobedience can be traced back to an idol. Some of us, we're living in blatant disobedience simply because we are lonely. 
and we are seeking comfort, significance, or control. Verse number 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is reflecting on his time of repentance, and he says that with a, a voice of thanksgiving he will sacrifice to you. He's now looking forward to once again being before the temple of the Lord and offering sacrifices. He's come to the conclusion that Salvation belongs to the Lord, that he did not save himself out of the belly of the fish. And we, as the people of God, we must recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord and not ourselves. And only when we recognize that we are saved by grace through faith and that salvation is a gift can we have thanksgiving and can we live with thanksgiving. There's no... Thanksgiving without repentance. There is no gratefulness in the Christian life without recognizing that God is the one who saves us. And perhaps part of the reason why we're not thankful as Christians and we often find ourselves maybe grumbling and complaining is because maybe we think that we saved ourselves or that it was half and half. God saved us and we saved us. No, that's not the gospel. No, the gospel tells us that we are, are not righteous. The gospel tells us that not only are we sinners, but we are unable, unable to save ourselves. Jonah's story shows us that if it was left up to us, we would be in Tarshish. If it was left up to us, we would live life according to our own pleasure and our own will. But God, being rich in mercy, came and he got us. And while we were living in stubbornness and disobedience and rebellion, that his love constantly pursued us. His love came and got us. Jonah repents. And God gives mercy, he gives grace. And each of us, we can find God's mercy and God's grace if we look to Christ today. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus here is teaching. Verse, starting at verse number 38, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Listen to what he says. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign for you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah, Jonah being in the belly of a whale, ultimately points us back to Jesus. It points us back to a, a greater Jonah, one who is better than Jonah. And Jesus treats the story of Jonah as an actual account because it is an actual account. But, but then he shows how the sign for his generation and for our generation that he is the Messiah is that he too would die. And that he would spend three days 
in Shoel. But that on the third day, he would rise with all power. Jesus died so that we might live. And if you're here today, uh, perhaps you're like Jonah and you're living in rebellion, I want to point you to Jesus. And if you're here today and you know someone who's like Jonah, who's on a run from God, I want to, to encourage you to share the good news of Jesus with them. To call them to repentance. Repentance is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Jesus' first message when he came into Galilee, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. I want to show you a quick uh, diagram here. And just as we walk through the story of, of Jonah, I want to walk through this with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, for, for you to see uh, and, and be able to cherish the good news of the gospel. The Bible teaches about God's design, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything good, and he created our first grandparents, Adam and Eve. And he gave them a garden to tend to and to men. And he gave them one prohibition to not eat of a, of a tree that was in the center of the garden. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve, seeking to become like God, seeking to be in control, seeking to be free, that they sinned. And as a result of sin, they experienced brokenness and we experienced brokenness. A curse entered into the world, what we call the fall. And as a result of sin now, the, the earth moans. Things are, are messed up. There's tornadoes, tsunamis, hurricanes. As a result of sin, we all receive a sin nature in Adam. We are born into sin and we are shaped by iniquity. And there's all types of brokenness in our lives. There's relationship brokenness. There's physical brokenness. There's emotional brokenness. And we are headed towards a downward spiral. But the Bible says that the only way to, to escape this brokenness is to repent and to believe in the gospel, to repent and to believe in the good news, to repent and to believe in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And that the righteousness that Jesus has, has now become your righteousness by faith. And that you are fully accepted by God, not on your own merit, not according to your, your own good works, but by his merit and his good works, by his performance. And that now you are saved by grace. And as a result of the gospel, now we pursue God's design for our lives. And even when we fall short, we, we quickly repent and we turn back to God and we receive healing. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to repent, to make a, a mental U-turn, to see God's mercy. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That because of your sin, you deserve death. I deserve death. We deserve hell, but God is gracious, and he's given you an opportunity to repent and to turn and to trust Jesus today. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, that you today would help us to, to die to self in order that we might live.